This episode of the Growth Enabling Madness podcast is sponsored by GNW Equipment Incorporated. GNW is a locally owned and operated lift truck and material handling company in the Carolinas and Georgia. Their customers turn to them for their solutions-based approach to take warehouse efficiency and productivity to new levels. As interest in workplace automation continues to grow, GNW is ready to help. Offering the most technology-advanced brands like Young Heinrich and Rokla, they have the automated forklift and modular AGV design that's right for you. To learn more about GNW equipment, go to gwequip.com. That's gwequip.com. Welcome to the Growth Enablement Madness Podcast, and I'm Jim Ward, your host, CEO of BrainCell, the growth enablement company. I'm absolutely mad about helping businesses grow and scale. And in this podcast, my team and I get a chance to talk shop with industry thought leaders about a variety of growth enablement strategies, stories, and technology trends. I'm happy that you're here, so let's get the growth conversation started. Welcome to the Growth Enablement Madness Podcast. This is Jim Ward. I'm CEO of BrainCell. Today's guest, we have a person who is not only an expert in the Microsoft world, he's really grown into the Microsoft world. I think he's kind of famous at this point. His name is Chris Seferlis. Chris, how are you? Doing great, Jim. How about yourself? He's a friend too, by the way. I really uh, <laughs> think of him as a friend. That's why he's laughing. You're getting raw today. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't agree. Chris, can you introduce yourself for a second? And I also want to introduce my co-host. Oh my God, what's your name? Sarah Reed. That's all right. I, didn't, I was kidding here. <laughs> Good to be here, Jim. Thank you for remembering my name. Yeah, well, it's only listen, been five years. Yeah, it's okay. I'm getting older. You're um, our co-host here and also our vice president of marketing. Sarah has a deep knowledge of a lot of the stuff that we talk about, which is growth enablement technologies. Today, we're going to be some, about talking some technology stuff. So uh, yeah, Chris, tell us about yourself. Introduce yourself, if you will, to the audience. Yeah, great. Thanks, Jim. So yeah, Christopher Lewis, um, a technology strategist at Microsoft. I've been there uh, just under five years now. Kind of grew up in IT, so spent over 20 years in IT, CIO for a couple of um, seafood manufacturers here in the Northeast, and, you know, just finally uh, decided to move to a new practice, new field, building solutions in the Microsoft space. And then for fun, I teach part-time at Boston University in the, the School of Computing and Data Science. And uh, yeah, no, I mean, just passion projects like we're talking about today, the book, and and just sort of helping people out and, you know, helping those around me grow. Yeah. Well, Chris, you and I met at one of those seafood companies. I was always impressed with you. We became, I think, close friends, although we family. don't see each other. Family. We don't see, <laughs> exactly. Uh, and Chris has really done some impressive things. I mean, he's embraced his new role. He is spending a lot of time really understanding the Microsoft. Well, in this case, we're going to be talking about Azure Cognitive. Do I say Azure right? I don't say it right, do I? Uh, Azure. I mean, Azure. You know Tomato, tomato, right? It's okay. Azure. Azure's how I say it, but yeah. it doesn't mean it's right. You know? Azure Cognitive Service and how AI is changing the game. But what's most important, oh, I just dropped the book in my face. <laughs> that should surely get a laugh out in the uh, YouTube market. It's because, folks, just so you know, I have one arm. I had a, a little surgery uh, last week. This is the book. I mean, when you're talking about really getting into the Microsoft world when you write a book, right? Yeah. Where can you get this book? I know my team has been reading it like crazy. Yeah. So Amazon, right, definitely is a great spot for it. Gives you a chance to kind of get a preview, right? Understand a little deeper as to the intent of writing the book and some of those things we'll cover today. And then of course the publisher is packed. They have 
one of those, what do you want to pay for play type services where you get access to a whole bunch of books as part of the library. And so if you buy the book through there, I get extra credit and you get access to the library. So it's Okay. Great. Well, that's good to know. <laughs> it's called Practical Guide to Azure Cognitive Services, Azure, however you want to say it, a tomato, tomato. Christopher Ellis, please go out and get this. I thought you will not be disappointed in reading this. If you're interested in AI and where this stuff is going and we're all interested. So let's kick it off. You recently wrote this uh, book. And again, it's a practical guide to Azure Cognitive Services. Can you give us a high level of what you were looking to do in, in writing it? What were you trying to accomplish and what inspired you to do it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I think what inspired me is somebody approached me and said, hey, do you want to write a book? And so <laughs> that made it easy, right? We'll give you a little bit of money if you yeah, want to write this book. That's and it's little, right? Let's, <laughs> let's make sure all those would be no, authors, the book is so. pretty big. The, yeah. book is, the book is pretty big. <laughs> I mean, the book is big. Oh, yeah. and by the way, it's 450 oh. pages. It was supposed to be 300 pages. Yeah. <laughs> What's little is the amount of money. <laughs> oh, that's the little. But yeah. So, uh, you know, in what really they approached me about is, is this goes back a couple of years, even when the Azure cognitive services space was really kind of gaining steam. You know, Microsoft did an amazing job of getting human parity when it comes to things like speech and a vision and all the different senses, if you will, from a human standpoint, right? And so essentially the way that the publisher sold it to me was to say, we don't have a book that goes deep enough technically that has driven enough readership. That's the feedback that we got. And so having been in tech for so long, I didn't want to approach it like a traditional tech manual, right? Where you just kind of give details about the product and then build a couple of examples and, and on you go, which I think adds to the beauty of the book, but also at the same time, what took so long for it to be produced. So for anybody who's familiar with the Phoenix Project, where they talk about the DevOps process and, and they humanize the process and, and some of the challenges that, that organizations face with some of the human aspects of how do you go through the development lifecycle and how do you how do you build that team and, and how do you motivate that team and, and what are the drivers for that organization, for that team to succeed? And so, I mean, certainly not a ripoff of the project. A lot of it's based on my personal experience in the seafood industry. I spent close to 15 years in the industry, all the way down to the manufacturing floor, as well as being on the senior leadership team. And it gave me an opportunity to kind of reflect back on my experience in those manufacturing organizations to be able to say, here's how I think we could have done things more efficiently, could have been more productive, could have really squeezed the lemon, if you will. Right. And so I wrap it around some of those experiences, some folks within the organization as personalities, if you will. And then looking at those real world scenarios where working with some other folks was able to identify where these cognitive services could really apply. Because I find that working with customers, they really I think that they really struggle with wrapping their heads around how they can use the services. Right. Yeah. Well, I do think there are some misconceptions around AI. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about what are some of the misconceptions people tend to have about AI that you'd like to dispel? Oh, geez. Uh, <laughs> where do we start? I mean, speaking specifically to cognitive services, first of all, the belief is that it's very expensive. And the nice thing is the majority of the services you can actually start for free. And, you know, talking, every one of them has sort of different metrics and stuff. We go through a lot of that in the book as well. And of course, the documentation always gets updated, but call it a thousand transactions per month for recognizing forms, for instance. Okay. You know, so if you're a small shop, you have a specific use case you want to play around with, you can really get off the ground very, very inexpensively. 
Another big misconception when it comes to the cognitive services space is that you need to have this beautiful, clean data set, right? We know that AI in general loves clean data, but the differentiator with the cognitive services suite is that the majority of them have pre-trained models that have been trained and retrained by Microsoft. And so they're providing a lot of those baseline models when it comes to image recognition and speech recognition, text-to-speech translation services, natural language processing, all of those types of things, right? Now, when we start getting into sort of more of this generative AI space that has really exploded in the past, let's call it year, since ChatGPT was launched, certainly the quality of the data that you're using is going to impact the quality of the output from the model, right? At a very high level, when you think about generative AI and the way that it works, is that it's a process of memorization followed by prediction, right? So we're memorizing these troves and troves of data. The original 3.5 model was 1.5 terabytes that it was trained on. So you've got just this massive amount of data, you layer your data on top of that, that gets applied to the model so that you're looking at, so let's just use an example. Um, you have a bunch of NDAs in your company and you've got a bunch of lawyers that sit there and read these NDAs and spend a bunch of time on them to redline them and all that, right? Well, we've got a trove of NDAs that throughout the years that we can load into our model to be able to identify the differences, identify where we have allowed certain exceptions over time, and then help you to either evaluate an NDA that's coming in or maybe redesign your own internal NDA to save some of that process of redlining later, right? Not only does it save time, but it also saves the cost of those lawyers having to work on that type of stuff. And so it can be very, very purpose-driven with regard to what data you're using. Now, if you're looking at building all of your data into one of these solutions, you know, you take your storage array or your NAS or, or whatever you're using, cloud storage, whatever, and you're pointing it at this model, garbage in, garbage out, right? Let's be frank here, you know, and that's, I think, where a lot of the, I guess, misnomers or misinformation around these large language models comes from, you know, because ultimately they scrape the web, right? And you know, the things that come through like political bias, maybe, or, or just any bias in general, it's essentially driven from the fact that it's trained off this publicly available information. And so it's going to take different stances on these things because all it's doing is regurgitating what it's already read. Right. But what, let's step back for a second. What's the difference between Azure's cognitive services versus a generative AI like ChatGPT, I'm starting to get a little confused. Yeah, sure. So the cognitive services themselves are very much purpose-driven, uh, purpose-built, right? So we kind of have them in categories of things like speech and language and vision and decision, right? And so they are very specific machine learning models that have been cleaned and tuned over time to be able to work in that specifically aligned space, right? So if you want to do translation, depending on which feature of the service you're using, you could have up to 112 translated languages, for instance. Whereas with generative AI, again, we worked with OpenAI, they trained this massive model known as GPT 3.5. Now we're seeing GPT 4 come out in a lot of spaces, but that model was trained on just a massive amount of publicly available data and just general data, right? Not a purpose-built model. Um, gotcha. It was purpose-built to mimic 
the natural flow of human interaction, if you will. So in a way, it's a controlled environment versus an uncontrolled environment. I don't know if I've said this correctly. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Yeah. Right. So an uncontrolled environment for chat GPT is they're using data. Perhaps it's the web or the right and the data that exists out there, which we all know has false information in some cases or biases in some cases. And that's why you have to be careful uh, what's generated. And that, am I getting that right? Yeah, very much, you know. And so earlier I mentioned that it's it's sort of memorization and then prediction, right? And so when you think about it, that memorization aspect is all that data that was used to train the model. And then the prediction element is saying, I'm going to look at what you've prompted the system for to return that information. And it's predicting based on the model to say, what is the correct response word by word to be able to frame it as we've seen in very, very similar human language. So for those of us and listening audience that wants to go out and look at the cognitive services by Microsoft, you know, they go to the website and is there a menu? Yeah, What's yeah. <laughs> I think it's azure.com slash cognitive services, you know, and it kind of brings it to that high level, just overview of what the approach is, some of the studies that have been done. I mean, these things have been developed starting back in like 2016, right? So they go a long ways back. Yeah. And if they want to take advantage of some of the free services, are they able to do that on that site there? Right there. Yeah, yeah. And it, and it actually, it'll tell you all those limits, right? How many how many transactions you get, how many documents you can load. I mean, you might have some minimal, minimal nom nominal charges, you know, for instance, storage or something like that. But I mean, we're talking pennies. And, you know, with ChatGPT, what we're paying 20 bucks a month for the, uh, I don't know, is it called the professional version? Or is there a similar charge or is it usage-based? Based. What is it with Microsoft? So again, separating the cognitive services from our own version of ChatGPT, because we also okay. have one of those, the yeah. cognitive services is very much transaction based. You know, how many documents are you going to load? How many translations are you going to do? How many characters are going through? Those types of things. Now, on the flip side, we actually, we can use as part of our exclusive partnership with OpenAI, we can use all of the models that they've built. So for simplicity's sake, you've got that chat GPT-like interface that lives in your own Azure tenant that is isolated to you and to you alone. And to your data alone? Your data alone, your company, you know, however that tenant looks, right? You can do it to your own personal use case, of course, but any data that you load in there stays there, doesn't retrain the model. To be very, very clear, it's a layer on top of that model. And I'm doing all these hand motions and you can't see them because I'm not bringing them up high enough. But, <laughs> but you've sort of got this layer on top of the model where you're able to extract the information from those documents that you're loading. And then, of course, that would be for that ChatGPT-like interface. And again, that's transaction-based. So you think about how the cloud works in general. And the most costly portion is, is compute. Right. And so we are training these models. We are aggregating this data. We are spitting out the results. We're using the compute to bring back that prediction element. There's a cost associated with that. Right. Yep. And it could be a lot. It could be a little. It just kind of depends right. on what we're doing. But the nice thing about that is, is again, that data is isolated and it's not used to retrain the models. Whereas the chat GPT data, as a lot of us have probably heard, companies like Samsung put some of their data in there. I think Sony did it as well, where they put some of their data in there that was proprietary, that was secretive. It got loaded and was used to retrain the model. Right. right? And so that's kind of a big differentiator there. Right. Hey, you know, I'm looking at Sarah thinking, I got a funny feeling she has a question for you. <laughs> 
Do I get like a look on my face or something? Yeah, I can tell there was like a burning question there and you were just waiting for a pause. Well, if you just raise your hand like my students, I would recognize you. Right. Honestly, I'm just trying to wrap my mind around it all. And so I think what would be helpful is an example of how a business function would use the cognitive services, like a sales, head of sales versus a head of marketing, or just an example. That's a great question. Yeah, that's a really good thought. You know, so some of the examples we use in the book, for instance, the form recognizer service, where you can load your forms, you scan them in, you don't even have to OCR them or anything like that, right? Just regular old scan a PDF or whatever kind of document, JPEG, whatever, and you load them into a storage account in Azure, you point the service at it and you say, what am I working on here? In the book, we use an example of an invoice process, right? So the customer invoice comes in, it gets recognized by the form recognizer, bits out the details of that, and then puts it into your ERP system, your accounting system, you know, whatever you look at. Not everybody knows what an ERP is, right? So whatever's running your business, you can add those entries directly in for either automatic processing, right? If you're confident enough in that type of service. And, and of course, they get retrained and you can add feedback to make them more effective over time. But you can load those processes in and basically trigger a workflow that can add those tables into the system for basically paying those vendors, if you will, right? So that would be a very simple example. That's the one we use in the book. But but these can be, I mean, anything where there would be the paper shuffle, as I call it, could be applied, right? Another one that we just worked on with a customer is, is a translation capability where they're a global company, they've got associates around the world, they don't necessarily speak English, and you can do the direct translation with the service that allows you to, whether it's it's through some kind of chat interface, can even do audio, right, where it can add in subtitles in that other language or can translate the text for you on demand to be able to essentially kind of reach out into the world and have a better connection with those people. I guess one of my questions is it sounds like this AI, these services, is would I be right in saying that it's starting to cross over into RPA, robotics process automation? I would say it's added to, right? Added to. Uh, I, okay. Yeah, I would say that it, it would be a component of an RPA because we think about that workflow function, right? We think about minimizing the overhead, right? And so, you know, as part of the book, the idea here was, and, and Jim, you know me well enough that that I'm always looking to make sure we're maximizing the value about whatever we're doing, right? So understanding the total cost of ownership, understanding the return on investment, what are you investing in this and how are you going to get it back? And I make a big point to say in the book that it may not be for your organization. It may be more costly to implement this than it's worth, right? Smaller companies, maybe you're better off just kind of buying something out of the box, right? I see. It may not be quite as customizable. So if I go back to our specific examples that I was just talking about with the form recognizer or speech translation, most organizations have their own business language, right? They have domain specific language. So on top of those baseline models, you can then layer on your own business language. If you have specific terms you use within the business, you know, I mean, you know, some people call it profit, some people call it margin, you know, some whatever, right? So you have that ability to build in your own language for your own organization as well. Very interesting. Makes you think. We are looking at beginning of the year, January 1, literally just creating a position within the organization that looks at tech stack, looks at AI, looks at all of the technologies that create greater efficiencies. 
And, you know, to your point, what we have to figure out is, is it too costly? And is there a return on investment for doing that? But as I see these kinds of services emerge, it strikes me that's one of the places that it's going is to help companies like ours and like many companies to, well, payroll is always our highest cost. And so in order to be profitable in this world, if other companies are going to start adopting this, it's going to create a race to making sure gross margins and net profit are healthy and that this may be a way to do that. That doesn't mean the human is becoming extinct. It just means that we're using people more effectively, I think. I think that's everybody's afraid to talk about the human element, I think, a little bit as well, because they're afraid to have people turned off by the concept of AI. But that's the reality. I think everybody needs to realize that there's going to be a, a bit of a shuffle in the world for both people and <laughs> their colleagues who may be robotic. Do you agree with that? I do. You know, it's all about productivity, right? I think that we all suffer from so many distractions over the course of a day that if we can sort of minimize some of that thrashing, if you will, where you're kind of being pulled in a lot of different directions by by minimizing some of those menial tasks by automation, it just frees us up to be more creative, to be more strategic, to really maximize the human brain, right? Where you're going to have, look, the generative AI stuff and a lot of these things where, you know, I mean, my college students want to use it to write their papers, right? And it's just like, okay, it might get you 70, 80% of the way there, but you still have to turn around and really understand what it's saying in order to make it look intelligent, right? And it'll get better, of course. But that's still right. 70, 80% done. I know. Absolutely. So I'm like Absolutely. all in. And I'm, I'm, I'm like, sorry, I wasn't growing up during that period of time <laughs> for college. I right. just want to say also, I found we've already saved a few dollars with uh, AI and that the last week or the previous podcast, we had real Sarah. This is a podcast <laughs> bot, Sarah. Uh, so we don't have to pay her anymore. Um, Fantastic. She's still as effective. I mean, I, her natural language processing seems to be right. Pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, I mean, the question was very articulate, you know, so right. um, she's, she's doing well. She's obviously been trained in the data set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's funny, it's something you mentioned kind of made me think of this, you know. So you talk about opening that new position to be able to assess how AI and some of these newer technologies can really help organizations. And I think what you touched on there is, is really important for people to understand where you have the traditional business analyst, right, who can go in and analyze process and, and help you kind of cut out some of the waste you know, we've got some automation tools just in that space alone, right? Process mining and, and understanding every hop along the way to make sure you know where process is being wasted, where time is being wasted. But if you can bring in a business analyst who has that technical understanding of how these systems work, right? It just becomes that much stronger of an opportunity, not only for brain cell internally, but for brain cells customers That's to right. be able to extend that service to them and really help them evaluate how they're going to use AI in an effective manner. Right, you know, it's funny you say that because I was I was thinking that we have something called brain cell labs here. That is a place where we spend time looking at technologies and thinking about how a customer could get a benefit from or an outcome from. So this position will has a dual purpose. It's both for our internal efficiencies to figure out are there and can we use technologies to do that? but also then be able to apply it to our clients. Sure. We always try to drink our own champagne first and then bring it to market. Skip right over the Kool-Aid. <laughs> Skip right over the Kool-Aid. Yeah, no, come on. Um, 
And uh, so that's that's where we're headed with this. And I'm very excited about it. And then when you think about all of this that you talk about with Microsoft, one of the things in discussions with clients, when I talk about Microsoft, of course, they have their point solutions. And by the way, you mentioned ERP earlier. ERP is Enterprise Resource Planning. It's a uh, it's a finance accounting based system often used for manufacturing and distribution, just to give it its own definition of which we have a whole resell division that does that kind of software resell. But when we look at Microsoft, and maybe I have this wrong, but yes, they have all their point solutions. Uh, you've got your enterprise licensing agreements a lot with a lot of large customers. I almost think that the biggest strength that Microsoft is bringing to the market is all these what I call under the cover applications. You don't see them as a point solution. They're not like, you know, CRM or one of your ERP products. You've got all these other products that underlie that make them sing almost or make other solutions sing. It doesn't even have to be Microsoft. Yeah. Right. Because we're using a lot of these products today in our projects through our consulting group with Salesforce.com. Right. 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 To add to what they don't do. Right. Right. Yeah. And and so that's a big focus of Microsoft, you know, over the past, call it well, almost 10 years since Satya came in, the days of Linux being bad are gone. Right. Linux is incredibly powerful in some ways. And about two thirds of Azure runs on Linux just as a surprising stat to many, I would guess, who know Microsoft and can remember the poor little penguin with the X through it, right, on stage back in the day. And, um, and that's just like sort of the beginning, right? So I think there's been this underlying technology that's been embedded inside the office products over the years, inside the CRM product, you know, all of these front end products that you're seeing and AI has been applied. I mean, you could simply say AI, the way it's defined today could be as simple as spell check or spam protection and those types of things, right? This stuff's been going on and been developed for decades, right? But when you look at what the shift has been more recently, our earnings report just came out there last week. And when you look into the, the details of it, we invested $11.2 billion in AI alone last quarter. Wow. wow. And so where's that money going? Well, it's going into chip production. It's going into partnerships. It's going into the co-pilots that have become much more popular. We just launched this week at, into general availability, our M365 co-pilot. So that is more on the surface, you know, as opposed to sort of behind the scenes. And we're bringing out that capability to, again, add to your productivity, right? So if you think about it, hey, co-pilot, help me write an NDA for my organization, right? Hey, co-pilot, and that gets away from the template. Right. You can add in specifics. You know, I want to add in these specific measures as part of that development of that NDA. Help me analyze this website to understand this customer's corporate strategy. Right. Right. And make a PowerPoint out of it. Yeah. Right. So that's what you're starting to see more on that front end level, at least in the enterprise. And I'm sorry to ask this. I should maybe know where is Copilot? Where can we use it? Is it a is it a, something that's available to the consumer? It is. Right now, it's in the enterprise space. I mean, consumers can certainly buy it, but it's targeted for the enterprise right now. The license counts and things like that just wouldn't be Makes available sense. to consumers right yet. We have Bing Chat, which does leverage the GPT-4 model. There are some limitations to it. You can sort of buy an advanced version of that as well, similar to what OpenAI offers using the GPT-4 model again. But from a, a pure consumer level, it's going to be a little while before they're available to the masses. Okay. Okay. Sarah, do you have any other questions that you'd like to ask Chris? 
I'm just, I'm still thinking about the cognitive services and even the translation capability and what that means for companies looking to move into global markets, like how much easier it is now for a business to go global and be able to communicate and create content locally. Yeah. That's fun. I know why she's asking that because one of her <laughs> issues is how do we expand globally? And so it is on our, our issues list to discuss and on our marketing list. So I'd be interested in hearing that answer. I mean, again, it, it's, you know, when we're talking specifically about the cognitive services, it comes down to what kind of investment is, is willing to be made by brain cell to have it very specific to what brain cell is doing as opposed to what is available on the market, right? Because it kind of comes down to specifically, what are you trying to accomplish, right? If you're trying to be able to chat globally through, you know, say Teams or some other interface on your website or those types of things, you would probably use like a cognitive service because it's a very purposeful intent when you go to build that solution, right? Whereas a lot of the products now have sort of natural language translation where we can think of back in the day when the translation of, you know, a sentence or a paragraph was somewhat bastardized, right? Because we're all English speaking, right? And, and so all these models are developed by English speaking people. And, and so all we think about is in terms of English speaking, as opposed to, right, Americans are everything, right? But getting away from some of that bias, because it is bias, and getting away from some of that, to be able to recognize the way that other languages, for instance, use pronouns or assign gender to not just people, but, but things, right? And I mean, my daughter is 12. She's taking Spanish and she's like, daddy, I can tell you six different ways to describe ownership by a person in Spanish because they're so confusing, you know, whereas as me, it's my book, you know, and I can say that a whole bunch of different ways, depending on what it is you're describing. And so I think that we're seeing a lot of advancements in that type of space where those models are getting much, much better trained by accommodating all of those things to remove the bias. That's excellent stuff. This is Christopher Furless. He's with Microsoft. He's got this great book called Practical Guide to Azure Cognitive Services. I would suggest you go out to Amazon or the other location that you can tell me about now. Can you tell us where <laughs> they can get publishing. it? Yeah. So P-A-C-K-T is the publisher. Okay. Anybody in the tech space, I would assume, has recognized them. They've been around for a long, long time. Uh, are you using this in your uh, coursework? at all with your students? I actually am. I made them read chapter three as part of the uh, class. <laughs> okay, a funny feeling. But you were right, this would go long. We always have great chats and I really appreciate you being here. The one that I do have a suggestion for your next book, mm. More Pictures. Yeah, okay, okay. Just for me. Uh, of you. I'm not, well, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, and, and you know- I was joking funny. about the More Pictures, by the no, way. You know that. we tried to have a good mix, right, of, of like I said, sort of that storytelling and the visual elements. And then, of course, I mean, look, there's a ton of pictures when you look at the examples, which eh, there's plenty of pictures, know. but I was being self-deprecating that I yeah, need pictures. No, 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 I, I, hate I, to, I, I hate when I have to explain a joke, okay? Um, <laughs> uh, that means it went 
you know, so anyways, yeah, Chris, how do people get a hold of you and how can you help them when they get a hold of you? Last I checked, I'm the only Chris Seferlis in America. And so if as long as you spell it right, you can find me on LinkedIn, you can find me on Twitter, you can find me on Facebook, I'm on YouTube, right? So I'm all over the place. Love helping out. Jim, as you know, I, I love to mentor. I love to tutor. I love to, you know, just really help people on their way. I mean, look, I can't spend a week with you, but, you know, a half hour call here and there. If you need some guidance, hit me up. $10,000 might buy a week. Anyways, uh, <laughs> <Maybe>. <laughs> well, anyways, again, thank you, Chris, for joining us on the Growth Enablement Madness podcast. Thank you, Sarah Reed, my trusty co-host. Really appreciate you here. Thank you. Thank you to all our folks out there and our sponsors. We will be back with new information on our next podcast. So you can get this podcast wherever podcasts are found, and they're found all over the place. Thank you again. This is Jim Ward. I'm CEO of Brain Cell. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of Growth Enablement Madness Podcast. I also want to thank Divinio Podcast for this episode's production and distribution. Finally, thank you to Sam Ward for our musical introduction and outro. Be sure to check out all of our episodes wherever you listen to your podcasts, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. New episodes are available monthly and cover all important topics for growing and scaling your business. Until next time, this is Jim Ward signing off. Let's grow.